Acts is the Acts of the Disciples, building the first church. And as we see here through this study, including everyone. The Acts is a book about radical inclusion. And so as we started a few weeks ago, we talked about the first radical inclusion of the nations as the message of Jesus goes to other languages. Last week, we talked about the radical inclusion of the poor, not just charity from the haves to the have-nots, but truly seeking equity, treating each other as equals. Uh, Very cool things happened last week as a result. Today, hold on to your hats. We're talking about a radical inclusion of a sexual minority. It is probably the most scandalous story in the book of Acts if you take yourself back to sort of that first century culture and that religious culture and the social culture and all the barriers that were up in so many ways. We'll dive into that as we go. Uh, I do need to give you a little bit of a heads up. I am basically re-preaching a message from 2018. Um, I scanned that over. We talked about the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8 in 2018. I read that message and I thought, you're good, Treadway. Really good. Why recreate such poetry? <laughs> and so um, I, I'm, I'm re-preaching that message, not just because we had this experience in 2018 that I really did think was kind of cool, but because there's kind of a little swirl in, among some that, you know, ranchers kind of taking new ground in areas and I just want to tell you, we're not taking new ground. This is the same values and theology and journey we've been on, and literally today the exact same sermon. But what is new right now is everybody's looking at everything through political religious lenses, kind of looking for things to sort of disagree with, looking for ways to be offended, looking for ways to kind of divide. And and we want this community to just be, you know, tranquilo, just take it easy, right? And and just experience the story of Acts chapter 8 enjoy the story, the first encounter with a sexual minority, and then how can we recreate that in our daily lives and recreate that in our church. It's going to be a beautiful time together. But some of you will feel a little uncomfortable with a couple things. That happened in 2018. It will happen again today. I want to urge you. I want to beg you. If you're bothered by some things that come up, just ask yourself a couple things. You know, why am I bothered? It's probably my heritage and traditions. Um, that, that's that's kind of creating this reaction. Get real simple. Let's just talk about Acts 8 and what was done in Acts 8 and how can I live this kind of life now and be a part of a church that does this now and how can I grow to be more like Jesus, to love like Jesus. So let's just have this incredible you know, time together. Let's have a good time and, uh, and it'll be quite a ride here. So I'm gonna start with just four verses of this story in Acts chapter 8. They're the summary verses and, uh, and as we go through this, just, just try to feel what's happening here um, in a powerful and beautiful way. Here we go. Philip, well, I'm going to call him Phil, early church leader. Philip met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship the Hebrew God. So every country has their gods. It wasn't uncommon to go to a neighboring country and to worship their god just in case, right? It's just sort of normal in ancient times. There, uh, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is some water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? He gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. Beautiful story. Philip, church leader, meets, meets a stranger, an Ethiopian eunuch, shares the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and he's baptized. Now, under normal 
conditions. Uh, you might have heard that story before. You might have heard sermons on it, and you might have heard it spoken about in terms of evangelism or sharing your faith. That we've got to get out there, we've got to share our faith in the world, and we've got to make converts, and, and that's the story. That isn't really the story. There's a reason why the stories are in Acts. This wasn't just another preaching of the message. This wasn't just another sort of conversion to follow Jesus with all the enthusiasm of the first century church. There's a reason why the first story here in Acts chapter 8 is so important, because it was the first time a sexual minority was shared the gospel and received the gospel, the good news of Jesus' love, and was baptized. It's a sign of, of conversion or following Jesus. In order for us to understand the power of the story, we have to understand the context, and we really have to understand the Ethiopian eunuch's experience. So let's get to know the Ethiopian eunuch a little bit. First of all, he was an ethnic minority, and there were two strikes against him as an ethnic minority when he visited Jerusalem. So here's an African visiting Jerusalem. Here's a black man visiting a Near Eastern community. And when he did, he had two problems, just culturally. He was not only a different ethnicity, but he was from a foreign land. So you'd have one strike against you if you were a different ethnicity but lived in the land. They'd kind of embrace you. You'd still be at an arm's length, but they'd kind of embrace you. For you to be an ethnic minority from a far-off land, when you got to Jerusalem, you were very much mistreated. Because the reality is that pretty much every tribal civilization in ancient times were fiercely racist. It's just the way it was. That's just ancient, you know, civilization. That's every tribe because sort of the way it works is you got to get people who are like you together. You look like me. We're from the same uh, ethnicity. We're from the same family line, the same tribe. We're together, right? We know each other. We like each other. We get each other. We got to stick together, strengthen numbers because they are the enemy. They might attack us. They might take our stuff, right? They might take our power. They might prevent us from prospering. It was all tribal. That's the basic, you know, state of human, of human beings. We're tribal. And so we have to protect our Ourselves. The same people get in the same groups, and everybody else is the enemy. It's racist, right? Some of that, a lot of that, still exists today. But we're trying. We're trying to break through tribalism. It is a very difficult journey, but we're trying to break through tribal racism. 2,000 years ago, when this was written, tribal racism was the norm. So he was an ethnic minority, two strikes, different ethnicity from a foreign land. Secondly, he was a sexual minority a sexual minority. He was a eunuch, which literally means in the original language, the keeper of the bed. And so eunuchs were uh, groomed or born eunuchs. We'll talk about that in a minute uh, for the purpose of protecting harems of women. Now, this is all disturbing. It's all ancient culture. It's barbaric. It's, 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 it's insidious. So a king would have a harem of women. Uh, he couldn't have men after his women. So he would either recruit or make eunuchs who were not sexually attracted to women to watch guard over his, his harem. Very disturbing, very gross. In the case of Ethiopians, they were led uh, often by women warriors, right? And so uh, the, uh, her guard could not be attracted to her sexually, and so she had to have, according to their culture, eunuchs, either by birth or uh, made eunuchs, so that they could protect her. In this case, he was the treasurer. So he was a high royal official who was a eunuch, no sexual attraction to women, either by birth or by castration before puberty. So Jesus himself spoke of eunuchs. It was very common 2,000 years ago. Thankfully, it is not common right now. 
But Jesus spoke of the reality of eunuchs, and he talked about various kinds of eunuchs, which was very perceptive by Jesus uh, and very relevant right now in terms of how religious cultures deal with and interact with and relate with sexual minorities today. Listen to what Jesus says. There are eunuchs who were born that way. Jesus acknowledges that there are men that do not have sexual attraction by birth. He lays it right out there. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. These are the people who, by ancient barbaric surgery, were castrated before puberty. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs. In other words, they just choose a life of celibacy for the calling that's in their life. Uh, they, they choose not to get married. The apostle Paul was one of those folks. He just cho- chose not to get married uh, to remain celibate because he was planting churches all over the world. So there are three kinds of people who, men who do not engage with women. They're that way by birth, they are made eunuchs by barbaric surgery, or they choose to live a celibate life. The Ethiopian eunuch was either born without an attraction to women or was castrated before puberty. Regardless, he was a sexual minority that had all of the stigma of sexual minority, both in his country and when he visited Jerusalem. I read an article by Peter Toscano, and, and he, his premise is this. He, he says, we read Acts chapter 8, and we read it through maybe a, a traditional church lens, and we focus on the preaching of the gospel and the conversion of a, quote, unbeliever. And that's fine, but that's not why it's in there. The reason why the story's in there is because it was the first time a, 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 a sexual minority was presented this message of Christ and received the message of Christ. So his belief, and I totally agree with him, is that in order for us to understand Acts chapter 8, we have to understand the plight of the Ethiopian eunuch, the sexual minority. He says this, I'm going to quote a bunch of stuff and interject some of my little opinions. So the good stuff I say is his, the, the bad stuff I say is mine. Uh, here's what he says. This man grew up, respected in some ways, for the prominent position in the royal court. Man of great privilege being in the queen's royal court. But also mocked for being different. He felt out of place, no doubt. Broken, rejected, and alone. He questioned why he was that way. Why would God allow him to be so different? And he wondered often if he was condemned by God. And I'll tell you, he had a good reason to feel condemned by God because he had this attraction to the Hebrew God. He had this attraction to the Hebrew scripture. He actually purchased a part of the scripture and was reading a part of the scripture later in the story. So he was a, you know, quote, God-fearer of the Hebrew God. And so he looked at the Hebrew scripture and all he saw was condemnation. In fact, in Deuteronomy 23.1, it says very explicitly and with great detail, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. He was forbidden from entering the assembly of the Lord. Now, this is the, the temple and the, the inner parts of the temple where, you know, God's presence was supposedly, you know, there, and he was not allowed. The doors were shut in his face. The doors were shut because he was a, an ethnic minority. The doors were shut because he was a sexual minority, and he read that in the Old Testament. So there was good reason why he felt condemned, even by God. In his inescapable loneliness, in his self-condemnation, and as a victim of religious condemnation, he was often angry, bitter, hollow inside, in a prison of sadness, but still somehow managing to seek God with all his heart. He went to the temple. He purchased the scripture. 
Then on a spiritual pilgrimage to the Hebrew temple, he buys a scroll of scripture from the book of Isaiah, what we now know as Isaiah 53. That passage speaks of a man born a servant. So a man born to serve. So you see how he can identify that? He was born to be groomed to serve the queen. He understands what it's like to be born a servant. He read that in the book of Isaiah. The passage also speaks of a man born as weak, a man of deep sorrow and acquainted with grief, a man who was opposed, a man who was abused, a man who was harshly treated, and he saw himself in Isaiah 53. He goes on to read that this servant, this suffering servant in Isaiah 53 was a man of trouble who he thought might be punished by God. This eunuch was captured by the emotion of that passage As a sexual minority, he knew what that felt like. So here's a question for us to mull around. It's an obvious question. Are there sexual minorities today who feel alone, who feel rejected, who feel condemned, and shut out of the assembly of the Lord? What's the answer? Obviously, yes. And we are talking about the LGBTQ community. They're the sexual minorities today, as they have always been, You know, today we're more nuanced, maybe a little more aware of the differences of what it means to be a sexual minority and why. We're struggling, right, to to figure out how to avoid them feeling the way this Ethiopian eunuch felt and the way so many countless hundreds of millions have felt throughout the course of human history. It's no fun feeling as though you're a minority, knowing you're a minority, and then to have essentially the whole world, the majority heterosexual world over the course of human history, judge you and hate you, and even use the name of God to pile condemnation upon you. It feels terrible. It feels like Isaiah 53. If you know someone from the LGBTQ community, if you yourself are from the LGBTQ community, if you love someone from the LGBTQ community, you know their feeling. You know the struggles. And those struggles are more profound if you're in a religious community. Let me give you just a couple of statistics, and these are brutal. You may have read that the LGBTQ community, sexual minority community, is over three times more likely to have suicidal ideation, suicidal attempts, and commit suicide over three times the number of the sexual majority. However, if you're a sexual majority member, you're a heterosexual, and you go to a church community, you are 17% less likely to have suicidal ideations attempts. That means for those in the majority, for those who are heterosexual, you go to a church community and you're suffering with something. You're going to get help, you're going to get love, you're going to get acceptance, you're going to get care, and you're going to be less likely to think about suicide or attempt suicide. That's great. However, if you're a sexual minority and you're participating in a church community, you are 38% more likely to have suicide ideations or attempts. That cannot be. That cannot be. That is unacceptable. And it is so far removed from the Acts chapter 8 experience where where Philip is presenting good news to this sexual minority who was feeling the weight of condemnation, feeling the weight of, of religious condemnation. And here comes Philip with the good news, changes his life, brings him so much joy and pleasure. That needs to be the experience of the church of Jesus Christ right now. It, here's an example that's 2,000 years old and still we're struggling. 
with condemning people who are the sexual minority. It is unacceptable. It is unacceptable. And, and here's even a, a terrible and awful irony attached to this. You go to a traditional religious community and there tends to be more concern with condemning sexual minorities than condemning actual sexual violence in our culture. I mean, follow a pastor, a teacher who is regularly condemning sexual minorities. Are they condemning real sexual violence against children, against women in the workplace, sexual harassment, rape, sexual violence in homes? You hear any of that? In traditional religious communities, they tend to be more concerned with condemning sexual minorities than, than addressing their own deeply rooted issues of abuse and infidelity, which inflicts real harm on people. I'm not going to name denominations or, or religious movements, but I am telling you some of the most fiercely um, uh, judgmental communities against sexual minorities, they've got real, real deep sexual problems, abuse, infidelities, turning a blind eye to to abuses in the workplace within those religious communities. It is horrific, not one word, but wow, will they pile on the sexual minority. Why do that? Why do that? Well, I think the answer is, is an easy one. If I most condemn the behavior I'm most unlikely to do, then I can feel better about myself and superior to others. It's really that simple. If there's a behavior out there that I can never see myself engaged in, well, that must be the worst thing. That must be on God's number one bad list. And so if I can condemn them, a, a, a behavior I'll never participate in, then I'm always gonna feel good about myself. It's just simple bullying behavior, right? We wanna feel good about ourselves, so let's pick on the minority. Let's pick on the one most unlike me, and I'll feel very good. It's just spiritual abuse. It's spiritual bullying. It's as simple as that. Now, with a few, there's a, a, a deeper, sort of more insidious motivation, and that is this. If I most condemn the behavior I'm most likely to do, I might convince myself not to do it. And so sometimes, maybe a religious leader who is most judgmental against sexual minorities, it sometimes comes out later that they, in fact, are gay. But they were raised in a religious environment maybe a conservative traditional religious environment, and they have hated themselves sometimes their entire life, and they're trying to battle sort of their own drives. And, and one of the ways they're going to do that is they're going to condemn the sexual minority because they're struggling. They want to talk themselves out of it. it happens a lot. So here's a, here's a question that we'll see in Acts chapter 8. The answer to is how can we be as inclusive as Philip? And for those of you who might have, you know, come from more traditional religious environments and some things in this message are already bothering you, I just want you to, to ask the, the question that's presented here. It's just as simple as Acts 8 is there for a reason. So how can I be as inclusive as Philip? How can our community here, Rancho Church, how can we be as inclusive as Philip? The story's there for a reason. Philip included the sexual minority in the kingdom of heaven. Let's just do that. It's super simple. I'm not talking about kind of this religious politics thing. All I'm talking about is Acts chapter 8, and can't we do this first here right now? 
And, and hopefully everybody will, will say, yes, let's do that. I might be bothered by some things. I might, my head might be swimming and what are the implications of all this kind of stuff? I get all of that, right? And we can talk later. Scott.treadway at rancho.tv. <laughs> but let's get to the basics. How can we be as inclusive as Philip? Haven't met one person so far here today or back in 2018 when the same message was preached. Haven't had one person say, no, I didn't like what Philip did at all. That was terrible. <laughs> let's just do what he did. So how do we do what he did? Ready? Here we go. First, it has to be a work of God because it's not natural for traditional religious communities to break down these barriers and to warmly embrace the sexual minority. It has to be a work of God. Now, I'm gonna be chuckling here probably awkwardly and probably way too much. To me, this is funny. This was a work of God. Philip was not an apostle. Philip was not a preacher. Philip was not a, a church leader in the sense of planting churches. So we read the books uh, or the stories in the book of Acts and sometimes it's called the Acts of the Apostle. Philip was, was not even an apostle. It had to be a work of God. God says, listen, if we're gonna reach the sexual minority, if we're gonna take the love of heaven to the sexual minority, it probably is not gonna be through the religious infrastructure. I gotta find somebody. Uh, it, Phil, it's Phil. Phil's like, what? <laughs> I don't wanna be out there. I'm a deacon, which means he has a heart to help people in his own church who are struggling. So he's showing up to you know, his volunteer ministry at his congregation and who needs help today and let's gather the resources to help these people. All, that's all he wants to do. God says, no, I'm gonna kick down a door. For the very first time in human history, we're gonna take the good news of Jesus Christ to the sexual minority and Phil, sorry, bud, it's you. He's like, what? Here's how it goes down. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, so go down south uh, to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. An angel had to appear to Philip because he wasn't going there on his own. Nothing natural about the religious infrastructure would get to this Ethiopian eunuch. God picked some rando, Phil, and an angel had to say, you're going to the road. All right, so he goes to the road and he's looking around and I'm kind of embellishing here, but I like doing that. He's looking around. I don't see any other Jewish men to talk to. You know, Jewish men are my people. Where are the Jewish men? Jewish men? Jewish men. Well, angel must have made a mistake. <laughs> well, then the Holy Spirit steps in. The Holy Spirit said to Phil, go over, you, to that carriage. <laughs> right? Nothing natural would have Phil on this road, brought there by an angel, go to that carriage with a black man who's a sexual minority. Nothing in the world would have drawn Philip that direction. So it's almost like, you know, God saying, angel dispatch, Phil. And he's still clueless. Holy Spirit dispatch. He's not getting it. Go to the Ethiopian. Go to the sexual minority. God has to force this because I'm telling you the traditional religious community is not going to kick down the doors and start welcoming in sexual minorities. It's too uncomfortable. It's not in our paradigm. So God's got to force it. And that's what God did here. And I got to tell you, God is pushing a movement forward in his church. It is uncomfortable. You can just imagine how uncomfortable Phil was. He's in his deacon office doing his deacon thing. Now he's out on a road outside of his city on the way to, to the Gaza Strip. And, and he's, Phil, he's, he's just surrounded by people that aren't like him. The Spirit says go to this African sexual minority. And he's going and he is as uncomfortable as can be. I'm telling you, 2018 and today, there's a, there are people who are uncomfortable and they're just wanting, sometimes just out of here, stop this. It's too uncomfortable, but it's the angel just pushing. It's the Holy Spirit just pushing. Walk through the discomfort, walk through. It's gonna be good, trust me, it's gonna be good. 
We've got some things to get over, but it's going to be good. And I'll tell you, one of the favorite things I do in life, and I am not kidding, this is not hyperbole, one of the favorite things I do in life is talking to people who were raised in a traditional religious environment. I was raised in a religious traditional environment. I was raised in the age of the moral majority. I'm talking about old school moral majority. And with our suits, we are judging everyone, right? And it is fun. And to walk through that, I understand the pain of that. I understand the pain of that, but I love walking with people that are in that journey. And I'm telling you this morning alone, after first service, after second service, just people upon people sometimes crying. I finally, you know, get to love my lesbian daughter. As of today, I finally get to love my lesbian daughter. My traditional religious experience would not allow me to do that. Today, I'm free to love my daughter. I love walking people through that journey. I love a couple, not too long ago, sat in that office back there. And, uh, you know, my son came out as, as gay. What should I do? And they are torn up. I said, this is going to be a short meeting. Love your son. Period. Yeah, but how do I, you know, love the sin or hate the sin? Why do you have to say that? Love your son. Love your son. And to walk with people as they really wrestle through, through some Bible passages. There are like seven of them. You know, they matter. Those seven matter. And let's walk through these Bible passages. I love that. Don't have time to walk through that, but I love that. Let's, what does it say? Let's go, right? Let's walk this journey. And I love it when people are just open. It's painful, but because it's not familiar. You know, we're opening our eyes to things that we've never saw before in the Bible and in Acts 8 and in the teaching of Jesus. Love it. The Spirit of God is still pushing us forward. And, and when the Spirit of God pushes us forward and, and we get to a point now where we're at least open to have these conversations, what do we do? Well, we sit down and talk. And that's exactly what the Ethiopian and Phil did. They sat down and talked, but <laughs> Phil was still reluctant. I love this. The Ethiopian says, sitting in his very ornate royal chariot, surrounded by armed guards, and Phil, basically forced by the angel and by the Holy Spirit to stand next to the chariot, uh, the Ethiopian says down to Phil, how can I understand what I'm reading? How can I understand Isaiah 53 unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. So I can kind of imagine the angel gets filled to the street, the spirit gets filled to the carriage, but he's like, I don't, I don't have to get in there, do I? And the Ethiopian says, I, you need to get in here. He's urging Phil, get in the chariot. Again, I'm embellishing, probably the armed guards had something to do with Phil getting in the chariot. They get in the chariot, they sit and talk, and they talk for a while. You can imagine Phil finally gets in the chariot, and then the chariot starts moving. I mean, they're going to Ethiopia. <laughs> He's like, I was in my office just a little while ago. Now I'm in a chariot, a royal chariot going down to Ethiopia, having a talk with a sexual minority. I love this story. I love it too much. He sat and talked and talked and talked. This was a long discussion, long discussion. How about if we say, you know what, God, I want to be like Phil. I, I want to just, even though I'm uncomfortable, I want to go. But you know what? I want to one-up Phil here. 
I want to do more than that. I don't want to reluctantly go into these uncomfortable environments and talk to people that are most unlike me. I want to want to do that. I want to get out there and get to know people, and, and especially if they're more different than me. And I want to connect with them in the office if I don't have a natural connection with somebody because of ethnic minority or sexual minority. You know what? I, want to, I don't want to be the one who is compelled by an angel or the spirit or a spear to go talk to people. I want to want to get to know all these beautiful people made in God's image around me with all of their beautiful stories. I want it all. Let's one up Philip. And then when we're sitting down and talking with people, let's empathize with them. Empathize. It was no coincidence that the Ethiopian was reading Isaiah 53. It's a deeply emotional, very painful chapter of the Bible. This servant was suffering intensely. Acts 8.33, he was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The Ethiopian was connecting the emotional pain of the Ethiopian eunuch's experience with the emotional pain of the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53. And they were empathizing on an emotional level here. And here's the punchline of Isaiah 53. That's Jesus. Isaiah 53 is a foreshadow of Jesus who was born to serve and who would suffer his entire life to the point of crucifixion on a cross. So can you imagine the Ethiopian sharing his suffering of being a sexual minority? He is connecting with Isaiah 53 and he finds out that the one he empathizes with the most is in fact Jesus Christ, the very son of God who is the full expression of God, and the full expression of God is a suffering servant. Because all the suffering eunuch experienced was judgment and condemnation from the, the, the infrastructure of, you know, God's temple. But what he saw through Philip was a deep connection with Jesus Christ. Jesus understands our suffering. He understands being alone. He understands being rejected. He understands being a minority. He was poor. He was a peasant. He was despised. He was from Nazareth, the squatter's peasant village that nobody respected. Jesus understands so much of this. And so the Ethiopian was drawn to Jesus. So what matters is the good news. What matters is the good news of God's love through Jesus. That's what matters. In the Acts chapter 8 story, we have to look at what was talked about and what wasn't talked about. What was talked about is the good news of the love of Christ. Acts 8.35. So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told them the good news about Jesus. They were there a long time and they unpacked the Old Testament and they unpacked the, the gospel, the good news of love and forgiveness and grace through Jesus Christ. Philip started right where he was and led him to Jesus. This man, this Ethiopian eunuch, who is dearly loved by God, he just didn't know it yet. Philip opened his eyes. This man who was accepted by God just as he was, but he didn't know it yet, and Philip opened his eyes. This man who was considered a perfect child of God by grace through Jesus Christ, he just didn't know it yet. Philip had to open his eyes. Isn't that beautiful? That is beautiful. So I'm going to double down here. Don't worry about someone's sexuality. Some people last service just fell over like, ah! What do you mean? So what we're supposed to do is worry about somebody else's sexuality. That's, that's, that's what brings me here on Sunday mornings. <laughs> it's, a, I know, it's a weird like obsession. We've got to really worry about other people's sexuality. I have some theories on why that is. I'm not going to talk about them here or ever. But don't worry about someone's sexuality. Did Philip worry about the Ethiopian sexuality at all? 
Did it come up? Nope. Did Jesus? Let's look at his ministry. There's a lot of stuff about Jesus. Did he ever bring up somebody's sexuality? The only time he did was he, he told an adulterous woman, you probably shouldn't be taking another woman's husband. He told the Pharisees, you shouldn't be condemning other people for their sexual acts, and then you do the same thing yourself. So Jesus wasn't a big fan of hypocrisy, and he's not a big fan of people hurting other people. So when it comes to hurting other people, and people are deeply wounded sexually all the time, it's, it's sad how prevalent sexual abuse and violence is. That's what we should be talking about. Real harm that comes to families, real harm that comes to kids, real harm that comes when we devalue our humanity and we start treating each other just for one another's pleasure. There's a lot of real harm that comes to that. Let's talk about that. Don't worry about someone's sexuality. Let's worry about a total embrace of God's grace. And that's how the story ends. A total embrace of God's grace. As they rode along, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Baptism is the symbol of old gone, washed away, new come. Why can't I be baptized? And a lot of traditional religious people would have answers. Well, you can't be baptized because you're a sexual minority, because you don't know enough, because you're blah, 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 blah. There is no answer. There's no reason why there should not be a full inclusion of sexual minorities in the kingdom of heaven. There's a receiving of Jesus, a receiving of the grace of God through Jesus. Let's get baptized. Let's see that water pour over you and let that water just cleanse you of all the condemnation that people have heaped on you your entire life. And when you're risen out of that water, let that be the breath of new life where God tells you all the time, every day, you're loved, you are accepted, you are mine, you're my daughter, you're my son. Let's go. No condemnation. Let's go. Let's live this life filled with love and let's love the world around you. Ethiopian was stoked. So a couple questions. Who do you want to be in this story? Who do you want to be in the story? I'll tell you somebody you don't want to be in the story. You don't want to be the religious leaders who are back at Jerusalem, who are managing everybody else's lifestyle. You don't want to be them. Who are shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. That's what Jesus actually said to the religious elite who are managing all the laws of Deuteronomy, including the laws that kept the ethnic minority out and kept the sexual minority out. They're in Jerusalem keeping everybody out and Jesus is screaming at them in the courtyards, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. We don't wanna be that person. Maybe some of us would say, you know what? What I'd like to be right here and right now is Philip. I wanna be the reluctant Philip. I'm uncomfortable with a lot of stuff. I've got questions about the implications of all this stuff, but I want to be the uncomfortable Philip. I want to be the one that's prodded by the Spirit of God to keep wrestling, keep reading, keep studying, keep getting to know people's stories. I'm just asking you, if you're uncomfortable by anything that was said today, at least pray to be the uncomfortable Philip on a journey of grace. But maybe most of us can say, I want to do better than Phil. I want to actively embrace humanity around me, everybody everywhere. I want to happily pursue the person who's most different than me, and I want to become their friend, and I want to get to know their life, and I want to hear their story, and I want them to help me learn some stuff, and maybe I'll help them learn some stuff too, and we can have this wonderful kind of camaraderie, all of it bathed in the love and grace and mercy and compassion of Jesus Christ. Let's be 
must be better than Phil. And then finally, there's a, a reason, I think, why the Ethiopian eunuch is unnamed. In this story, Philip is named. In this story, the queen, Candace, is named. Everybody's named except the Ethiopian eunuch. Why is that? Because there's a blank there. And I've talked to so many people, 100 or more at least in my youth ministry, is just this constant, just constant, this parade of kids wrestling with being a sexual minority in a, in a hyper-religious environment and the tears and the pain and the abuse and the feelings of being rejected by their family, by God, the condemnation, and walking them through this story, they are the Ethiopian eunuch. There could be 500 to 1,000 or more people watching this service right now. That means there's 50 to 150 people who are sexual minorities. And you know what it's like to feel this feeling in the context of a religious culture that claims to be speaking for God. Just know today you are that Ethiopian eunuch and all you need to do today right now is embrace the love that God has for you. You're his perfect daughter, you're his perfect son. Just enjoy that. And you could even be baptized if you're here. It's first Sunday of the month, it's baptism Sunday. That pool right over there is warm. And you can go over there right now and you can say today's the day this condemnation comes off me and today's the day I rise again to be loved. Any of us right now can go to that baptism water, whether you're a sexual minority, majority, whether you're on a journey, wherever you're, where you're at right now, today could be the day that you accept and embrace God's grace for you, freely given through Jesus Christ. You are welcome by God and you are welcome here. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we uh, just every week thank you for the experience of grace that we see in your word, in the example of Christ, and in the book of Acts through the early church, this first church that took so many risks, this first church that broke down every single barrier one by one by one, bringing the unconditional freely given grace of the kingdom of heaven to everyone everywhere. There are no high walls, there are no doors shut. Everyone is welcome to receive the grace that you give freely through Jesus Christ. And through him, we know we are loved. Through him, we know we're forgiven. Through him, we know that we are declared perfect in your eyes. Through him, we know we are fully embraced. Through Jesus Christ, we know there's nothing that separates us from you, nothing. Help us to celebrate the beauty of that good news. We receive it, we believe that, help us to live into that, and always remember how loved we are. In Christ's name we pray, amen.